0: See, it paid for the bell choir to stay up late last night to practice. Maybe, surely, that's what you need to do each time, is to have practice late at night. Do you have a nice Christmas? I won't ask you what Santa brought you. For some people, it was a very good Christmas to be together with family and friends. For some, not so good because of loved ones who are sick. And we remembered those who we could in prayer. Um, Julia Searles, who's a member of our church, was in the Hemet Hospital. Is now was able to go home last night and is at home. Uh, recuperating. We just hope that things are okay. Sam Montez's mother, uh, Jesse, is in very critical condition. Uh, We need to remember Sam and his family. They are not uh, expecting Jesse to pull through this one. And so there's heaviness, darkness over the family at this time of the year that's supposed to be so happy and jovial. There's some others that uh, this has been a week of, of happy things and of tragic things that have taken place. And the happy things bring you nice light, the tragic things brings heaviness. And so I've experienced both sides this this whole week. It reminded me of an account that that I read I wanted to share with you where the author said uh, suddenly the bright sunny sky was darkened with a black cloud. As you stood and watched the event taking place, it seemed as if the entire surface of the ground moved, producing a most curious effect upon one's vision and causing him a sense of dizziness. The blackness would go up, up, up the city walls. It was so dark that it covered a 2,000 square mile area. This event took place back in 1915 in Jerusalem. It was an eyewitness of someone who saw an invasion of locusts. 120 million insects per square mile, and it covered 2,000 square miles. If there was a space station going around in 1915, it would have been visible from space. They were so thick that the sunlight could not penetrate through. And it was like walking around in the darkness. No window could stop the invading insects that came into the house, into your beds. Every room of your house, they were there. Into your food. You couldn't sit down to eat. By the time that you would pick up a spoonful of food to put it to your mouth, a locust would be in your spoon. Aren't you glad we're not having potluck today? In Cyprus in 1881... They tried to keep ahead of the locust invasion there, and so volunteers went out and dug up 1,300 tons of egg casings by hand and destroyed them in a fire. That's the eggs, 1,300 tons. They still didn't get them all. Every leaf was consumed. Every piece of grass was consumed. All that was left behind was bare ground, bare twigs, lifeless, and very devastating. Crops were destroyed, which would cause famines. Now the prophet Joel was trying to warn Israel about an invading army of locusts. Evidently, it is believed that Joel probably at some time in his life experienced such a sight before. And that's how he knew of its terrible devastation. And he knew that if people were not prepared, that it could be a life-threatening, frightening experience. And so he set out to be able to warn his people to get ready for this invasion, to get ready for this darkness that was about to hit them. And he's, as he's sharing his account in his little book that we have, just three chapters, as he's sharing this, He's actually saying that this is actually a, this invasion of the insects is actually just a precursor to something that's going to follow. I want you to look, if you would, in the book of Joel at Joel chapter 2. We're going to stay in Joel for the most part. Joel chapter 2. And I want you to look at verses 1 and 2. Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I know you don't usually turn to the book of Joel. It not, would not be your favorite book in the world. So break open the crustiness of it and try to find it. And take a look at Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. It's talking about this invasion that's coming. And then it says, For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. Notice he calls this this invasion that's coming, the day of the Lord." In fact, he uses it quite a few times in describing not only this event, but even afterwards. Time period afterwards, this term "day of the Lord is used by Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, and Malachi. It seems to be a theme in the Old Testament it's a It's a phrase used by these prophets warning people of a crisis. That is about to happen, and in all those other cases, it's not describing the the invasion of the locust, but it's other things. So it, it, we we just can't limit it to saying that it's it's a locust thing. But any crisis that's going to take place that affects God's people and affects His church, this warning goes out and says to watch out for the day of the Lord is coming. The New Testament writers uses this term in a couple of ways. First, Peter uses it to refer to uh, Pentecost. He often quotes Joel talking about Pentecost when the Holy Spirit anointed the disciples to spread the Gospel. And of course, they use it to refer to the judgment and the second coming, the hellfire, and the brimstone preachers used to yell out, the day of the Lord is at hand. Repent, ye sinners, and be baptized. Let's kind of get some facts before I share with you about a darkness. Very much on my mind. When the Bible talks about the day of the Lord, it doesn't mean just one literal 24-hour period of time. In most instances in the Bible, when it's used, it covers a longer period of time. There's usually a crisis where darkness comes that affects everyone. And in that crisis, it kind of overlaps over into some other days where this is called the day of the Lord that's taking place. But in it, God is calling His people to make a decision. Take a look at Joel chapter 1 beginning with verse 15, 15 through 18. Joel chapter 1, verse 15, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as destruction from the almighty. It is not the food is not the food cut off before our eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clods, storehouses are in shambles, barns are broken down, for the grain has withered, how the animals groan, the herds of cattle are restless, because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. So this just doesn't happen in a day. We're talking about a period of time that this is taking place. He calls it the day of the Lord. The second thing that we can learn from the Bible is that there are signs that, that precede or are part of the the initial day of the Lord. In Joel, the plague of locusts were not it was not the actual day of the Lord, but it was what caused the warning for people to wake up that something needs to take place. It's leading up to them to make a life-or-death situation. In this case, it was a famine that was going to plague God's people, and they needed to be prepared. Look at Joel 2, verses 1 and 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds, a thick darkness like the morning clouds, Spread over the mountains. Now look at Joel 3, verse 14. Verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So it's, it's something that brings darkness. It's something that, that precedes the day of the Lord. And then when the day of the Lord comes, it's a, it's, God's people have to make some type of a decision to to, to uh, uh, do something because it's a life or death type of a situation. The third thing we can discover from this is that the crisis called the day of the Lord is an opportunity for certain people to enter into salvation with the Lord. He's talking about neighbors and friends and family. All those who are living a life in opposition to God's ways and teachings, so He's calling them back in to make a decision for salvation. In the day of the Lord, the church is to act in this restoration of the lost loved ones. Look at Joel chapter two, verse sixteen. Joel two sixteen, it says, "Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders." Gather the children and the nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. And then look at uh, chapter 3, verse 13. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. So there's a call for God's church, God's people, who still have their faith, who are still following God, to assemble together. All the men, women, children, leaders of the church, everyone is to meet together. And as they meet together, they are to, to go out and to be able to do something to help bring those individuals that are on a valley of decision to help them to come and make a decision. But before the church goes out to reach these people that God says needs to make a decision, they must do something. Look at Joel 3, verse 11. Assemble and come, all ye nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. So they are to come together. They're to meet together. And as they're meeting together, look at Joel 2, verse 12. Joel 2, verse 12. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. The church is to come together, to assemble together, They are to meet as a church body. All are to meet. And as they're meeting, they are to fast and they are to pray. They are to come together before they do anything else. They must turn to God in prayer as a group, as a nation, as people coming together. There's a darkness. There's something that's happening. This darkness is is overwhelming And the church must come together and to pray because it's a life and death situation that's about to happen called the Day of the Lord. And in that, God's church is to reach out. But before they do that, they have to come together and they have to pray. And then after that period of time of fasting and prayer and a time of of getting their hearts right, because we have as a church, we have to make sure that our hearts are right or we're not going to be effective for God at all, then we are to go to those individuals who are not living up to God's standards. Take a look at Joel 2, beginning with verse 28. Joel two twenty-eight, And it shall come to pass afterwards... That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Remember, all the churches come, all the children and everything else. Your old men shall dream dreams. Some of you old men do that in the church service. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be Deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So what does that mean? And it talks about the sons and the daughters shall prophesy and the old men shall dream dreams and etc. What, what does that entail? Go to the book of Acts now in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2. And look at verses 16 and 17. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verses 16 and 17. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy... Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I shall show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath. You see what it's talking about? What's happening here? What's the context of Acts chapter 2? It's Pentecost. It's after the Lord had ascended up into heaven and He had given the commission for God's people to be able to go out into the world, but they met together of one accord. What were they doing in that upper room before they went out? Praying, just like Joel said. Meet together, pray, and then there's this anointing of the Holy Spirit. And what did they do when they went out? They shared Recipes? They shared Christ, the everlasting gospel, and gave opportunity for people to make a decision, either for or against Christ. Following the instructions of Joel, We all know, sitting here this morning, Sabbath morning, we're living in the last days of this earth's history. We know by looking out and seeing what's taking places in our own homes, what's taking place in things around us, what takes place in the church as well too, What takes place in Pakistan and Iran and Iraq and Korea and Mexico and Canada, and you can go all over, and what's taking place is it's all signs that Jesus is about to come. Our polar ice caps are melting, our environment is changing, crime is on the increase. When you look at the entire world, people are being persecuted just because they believe in Christ. We know all this is going to happen because Jesus says it's going to happen. And then when it happens, then Jesus is going to come. We believe that, don't we? But our church is heavy with a crisis like the plague of locusts. There's a dark shroud hanging over our church. We look at the world and we see the signs and we know that Jesus is about to come. All these are are taking place. All these natural destructions, all these things that are happening in the world today, all these and many more are shouting to us that That the seven last plagues are about to hit like a thief in the night. And the day of the Lord, or the end of this world, is staring us in the face. Now there's still some time, but it's inevitable. Soon the proclamation will be proclaimed. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. When that proclamation is made, can anyone after that time make a decision for Christ? But we know that decision is about to come and about to hit us. And the darkness that we're experiencing on our church and any church all over this world is the fact that probation is just about to come to an end. There is time, after that there won't be any time for repentance and change, but there is time right now. The lost will be lost and the saved will be saved when that proclamation goes out. But what about, what about our own sons and our own daughters? What about our own grandchildren? What about our mothers and our fathers and our aunts and our uncles and those individuals whom we love and care about and we know they're not living a life according to the standards of God, they're not coming to church, they're not having experience with Christ, are we to sit back and to say, Oh, Lord, we don't care Because when that proclamation takes place, it's over. So you see the darkness? What about the fact that we have about 275 names in our church book and yet if you take a look, we don't have 275 people sitting here. And some of these individuals who used to sit with us and who used to be a part of our church are now sitting at home. And they're not worshiping God and they're doing other things and their focus of attention is not on the spiritual. And we know them. We've sat with them. We've worshiped with them. What about those people? Our friends. Can we just sit back and do nothing? They used to attend our Sabbath school class. They worshipped in our church. But for various reasons, they're not here this morning. Maybe we as a church need to follow the steps of Joel. Maybe the time is now that we as a church need to rally together. We have to come to a point right now to realize that we, the church, must do something to reach these friends and relatives
1: that are around
0: us. Maybe it's time for us as a church to assemble together in fasting and prayer for each name of those that are not attending church. Does that make sense? I mean, it's biblical. That's what Joel says to do. So starting Wednesday, January the 23rd, and each night for the next ten nights, we will assemble either here at the church or for those who are still active in their cottage meetings and and you're going to the homes to meet there, and we're going to fast and pray for ten days and pray for these names of these individuals and our children. Then... After that 10 days of fasting and prayer, we as church members are going to make a contact and reestablish friendship with those individuals who live around us in February and March. We're not going to sit back. February and March just reruns on TV. So you have no excuse. Christmas is over. So we need to go and give them a gift. Nothing else in mind, just a gift. I've got a book, and and we're such limited copies on this that we can only give this Sorry to say to those who are living just locally in the area here. The book is written by Ken McFarland. It's called The Called, The Chosen. And we're talking about individuals. We're not worried about those who have never had contact with Seventh-day Adventists. We're going to reach those later on. We're talking about those who used to be part of our church, for some reason or other, are no longer a part of this church, who at one time understood the three angels' message, Have understood the Sabbath, who worshipped with us on the Sabbath. This book reestablishes how God, from the very beginning when sin entered into the world, clear through to the movement of the Seventh-day Adventist church, has always had a called church, and that the Adventist church is still a part of God's people, God's special remnant. That's not saying that others in other denominations are not going to be saved. I'm not saying that. But God has called us to be a special remnant people that have the faith of Jesus and keep the commandments of God. And that they at one time were a part of that group. But this is to help to reestablish their connection that God has been leading this church. And I know at times, and it was even predicted, Ellen White said, it'll look like the church is going to fall. And we've all seen that that has taken place. And we can look around and we can point out the faults and everything else. But that doesn't give us an excuse as this church to be able to say, well, I can't do anything because the denomination has fallen to pieces. Let's say the denomination is right here. I don't care what they're doing in Cala or Banning or Hemet or any of the other churches. I hope and pray, and it is my prayer, that they're being led just by the Holy Spirit, just as we're being led. But let's put it here. This is our church. These are our friends and family. We need to do something to reach out and to get them To bring them to a valley of decision before the door of probation closes and it's too late. So we're going to give them a gift. Make contact with them. Give them an opportunity to come to church. Starting Easter weekend, March the 22nd, for ten nights to view Doug Batchelor's revival series, Here We Stand. They'll be asked to make a stand for Christ and to reestablish their connection back with the church again. I mean, we've got to do something. So that's how we're going to reach out. And when Jesus sent His disciples out into the world to share the gospel, He gave them these words, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Let's start with verse 7. Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He said to them, that's to his disciples, and we're still his disciples, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. We don't know the exact day, we just know that it's close. But you shall receive power, and when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Where did they start? They started at home, in Jerusalem, their home church, to the people that they love, to be able to say to them, this is Jesus Christ. Now take your stand. Reintroduce them to the Messiah. They had to do that before they ever went to the ends of the world. Before they ever carried the everlasting gospel to the entire world, they had to start at home first. And that's where we're going to start. It's Right here at home. Now some of you are visiting. You're here for the holidays. I hope what you hear you take back to your church. And you tell your church pastor and your church members, Let me tell you what they're going to do in the Beaumont Church, and I think we need to do the same. Don't sit back and be quiet. Stand up and make a stand for Jesus Christ. We just can't do nothing anymore. So we're going to do just exactly as Jesus instructed, and He has promised that He's going to pour out on us the Holy Spirit. And we are going to be fulfilling that prophecy that was in Acts, but also started in Joel, that mighty things are going to take place because of what we're about to do. If you're willing, please stand and sing with me hymn number 626, because in a little while, we're going to go home to heaven, Six hundred and twenty-six.
1: In a while, in a little while we shall cross the billows home. We shall meet at last when the stormy winds are past. In a little while we're going home. There's a rest be In a little while we're going home, and no tears shall fall in me. Bright and fair, in a little while we're going home. In a little while, in a little while, the bill. We shall meet at last when the stormy winds are past. In a little while we're going.
0: Father, I've seen evidence within this church that you're starting the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because there are some lives that have really been changed. But I've also seen the devil really trying to work hard to destroy everything this church stands for. Lord, let's focus our attention heavenward instead of upon this earth. We uplift to you those individuals that you're going to bring into our contact with. You've got something mighty for them. You're going to work through us to be able to reach them. And they will come to a valley of decision. Lord, we pray that your spirit will help them to make a decision for Christ now. As we make a decision to follow in Joel's instructions, in his name we pray. Amen.